let's go ahead and jump right into it. So, welcome everybody to the Enemy Slime podcast, episode number 92. A very special episode. I'm your usual host, Jared. We are joined today by Mr. Doug Wilson. Hey, I do not have a problem with homosexuals. It's already, it begins. Uh, Mr. Lucio Lorenzino. Hello. Mr. Michael Mahoney. Bonsoir. (laughs) Mr. J. Joseph Jr. Everyone likes a little rubbing. And we have today with us a special guest. This is the uh, would I would I be accurate in in characterizing you as the uh, leader or head of the of the Utah Games Guild, Josh? Uh, yeah, that would be reasonable. We we could we could attribute that to you. Um, also, king the, and galactic emperor. Uh, the the uh, mind the mind behind the upcoming uh, legacy of the Elder Star uh, from Kickbomb Entertainment. We'll be talking about that. But we're joined today by Mr. Josh Sutphin. Hello. So um, he's he's doing good. He's he's so far he's an expert. He's an immaculate <laughs> professional. Um, and this is years of practice. Yeah, years. Clearly, naturally. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, get, get started here. So we're going to, of course, spend some time with Josh, talk a little bit about, about his games, um, about his projects, and also I'd like to talk a little bit about kind of the uh, your work with the indie scene here in Utah and kind of some of the stuff that you do there. Um, but first, before we go too far with that, I think that uh, we should probably let Jay have his say, ooh, I like that, um, about the article that went up today, specifically the one relating to... Before that, I have something to say. Oh, what do you have to say, Lucio? So when Zelda was delayed a couple of months ago, uh-huh. I said that Nintendo had nothing, and I mentioned Splatoon and Mario Maker, uh-huh. two big games, and you guys didn't believe me. So I just want to say that I was right. I, I think I've said this already before on the podcast, which is that I was pretty much wrong about Mario Maker. Um, after after I got to play it at E3 and then saw it again at PAX, um, I was actually I'm I was pretty sold on it, and that's why I picked it up right when it came out. Because I just want to say, we, we thought you said Sonic Maker. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that would have been even better, really. Oh God, I wish. <laughs> You know what? If there is a Sonic Maker, I mean, it would all end up in horrific, horrific porn, but it will probably sell pretty well. If you scan in a Sonic amiibo to Mario Maker, you can be Sonic, That's um, true. complete with all like the Sonic sounds and uh, sights. But does he you... does he go fast? No, not not particularly. Not really. No, he goes as fast as Mario. So it's very accurate to modern Sonic. Yeah, it's it's pretty much just like the way Sonic is, but. But yes, Lucio, I will concede that... Well, I will concede this. I think Mario Maker is a very good game. Uh, we don't know how well it's sold yet. I still am skeptical that that is the game that can coast Nintendo through Christmas. Like, I, I don't know that it's like... Two Splatoon and... I don't know that it can be held side by side with, like, Fallout and but Call of Duty. You're going to you're gonna get Mario Maker, and then you're going to get an amiibo for each of the costumes you can unlock in Mario Maker. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody's saying like it's dire straits for Nintendo, but there's no way that Mario Maker sells as well as. I'm sorry, everybody says. Yeah, as an amiibo selling machine, Mario Maker is going to do very well for Nintendo. What, what's your favorite thing about amiibos, Jared? Um, I like how uh, I like how they feel against my skin. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's what I would say. Sleep with them, make it. Um, sometimes, if if I need to. Do they feel as good against your skin as the spores in Michael's house feel against his foot? Why don't we Why don't we talk about it until dawn? Let's talk about that. 
We do. We don't need to spend. Well, I want to know about these spores that have been haunting Michael since he moved. What did happen in your house, Michael? Did you like? Did I, you... I, I I honestly don't know. I've just been finding these very sharp thorn, slightly uh, slightly spore like in nature. So Michael's new carpet. home is ground zero for uh, the Last of Us. <laughs> oh, he's got cordyceps. He's going to turn into a zombie and eat us all, into a mushroom zombie and eat us all. That would actually be a more a, a, a better game than Until Dawn. Actually, I will I will make, make just a slight, I, I, I do want to stay on topic, but I do have a slight diversion, which is um, we went and we saw a game at PAX called Mushroom 11. I'm sure you guys remember it. Uh, yeah. And as part of their swag that they had brought along with them for the show, uh, they included a hand sanitizer uh, that they had put their own label on the bottle for Mushroom 11, and they colored it green. It was really cool. And it said, on it, it said like, Mushroom 11, and then under it said, Organic Fungus Remover, or something like that. Um <laughs> And when I got home, I didn't really know what to do with it. So I went ahead and just put it in my bathroom drawer because that felt like the most appropriate place for hand sanitizer to go. <laughs> and my wife found it. And I'm pretty sure she's now convinced I have some kind of like horrible fungus disease. She, so she, let me let me let me ask this. How would you feel if, if you came home one day and you saw me and your wife in bed? I'm pretty good. Are there amiibos involved? Uh, really? I okay. guess I, I don't know where where are we going with that one. See, I was hoping you would say something else because then I could tell you that once you found us, I would say to you it's just a prank, and then I would ask you how you feel after that. Oh, I see. I see what we're doing. All right, so we've it's a throwback. <laughs> we've moved. It's not a throwback. It's a throw forward. Um, because it's a segue as it gets called it. it. Throw forward. That's the new hip term. So in, until dawn is basically the story of several pranks gone wrong. And the thing that confuses me the most is everyone seems to take a great amount of offense after they're told it's a prank. Because that's supposed to absolve you of all guilt. Right. you say it's a prank. Right. So um, Bill Clinton, back in the 90s, he, he passed the uh, International Prank Agreement. And uh, that agreement basically says that you can do anything you want to anyone as long as afterwards you proclaim loudly that it was just a prank. <laughs> yeah, that sounds all right. Correct. And that you didn't mean it. That uh, totally happened, and it's legal, legally binding advice. Yeah, so that's... So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to these people as by name, because I did not refer to them by name in my Terrible Tuesday, uh, because I don't respect them. So there's a guy <laughs> named Josh who is a... Um, Unre- unrelated to our guest, by the way. Uh, yeah, unre- a, a Josh who is unrelated to, to the Josh on our podcast. There's a guy in Until Dawn named Josh. So the cast of Until Dawn plays a prank on Josh's sister. Uh, like, her, his sister has a big crush on one of the main characters, Mike, and she goes up and starts to take her shirt off for Mike, and everyone jumps out like, surprise, it's a prank, and then she runs off frightened into the woods. Um, I'm sorry, embarrassed into the woods, and then she gets frightened. Her other sister chases after her, and both sisters fall to their deaths, and they die. And a year later, Josh gets all these friends that he feels are responsible for his sister's uh, death, and then he plays this, this huge, kind of semi-dangerous, epically cruel prank on all of them. So... After Josh pranks them, Josh doesn't really understand 
basically he assaults a lot of them. Like, like what he does to some of them is flat out assault, right? Like he attacks them, he punches them in the face, all this kind of stuff. Um, and he puts them into like these, these life or death jigsaw like situations and just to see what they'll do. And at the end of it all, he's like, Hey guys, it was a prank. And they're all super pissed at him for pulling this prank. And Josh cannot understand why they are angry at him after he's done all this stuff to him. Yeah, at, this, at, at the same time, at the same time, uh, his friends, these other seven characters, cannot understand why Josh is still mad at them for getting his sisters killed a year, year ago. So that's not uh, a big that's, deal. Like sisters die all the time. That's that's that's. That's like the first half of the game, right? That's the entire first half of the game. And all of it's kind of like a misdirect because you find out while these huge pranks are going on, there's something more dangerous in the woods that is actually waiting to kill everyone and eat everyone. A so bear? while they're playing their pranks, they're they're unaware of this other stuff that's going on. Um, and the big reveal, an old guy walks into their cabin literally just to deliver this information and then die. He walks into the cabin. He says, <laughs> "Hey, kids, you're being hunted by Wendigos." And when, then he's when, killed. Wendigos. I had to when, fix when, that a lot in your article. They're not Wendigos. <laughs> they're they're Wendigos. Wendigos are something entirely different. Yeah, that's that's something. Are you thinking of Mandingos? I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Lucio might be familiar with Wendigos. I think they're native to Argentina. Uh, no. Oh. Well, then I don't know. That's right, Jerry. But either way, I, so I did like, I did enjoy the story of the Wendigos, um, or, or, or rather the creation of them, because basically a Wendigo is formed by, um, by eating the flesh of another person. So basically if you're on that mountain and you resort to cannibalism for some reason, you become a Wendigo. And so they, you, you find a bunch of documents that tell you this uh, side story about how there was like a collapse in a mine on the mountain years and years ago, and the miners had to resort to eating each other. And so those who did became uh, Wendigos. <laughs> Wendigos. And, okay. And then, and then they, you know, it, from that point on, it, it, and so you're, you're two friends that die in the beginning. We're just spoiling the whole thing, right? That's what we're doing? Yeah, that's okay. basically it. So, sorry, anyone who wanted to Retroactive play Retroactive spoiler alert? <laughs> yeah, we'll put something on the article. Um, Josh was really looking forward. He he wanted to. Spoiler alert. He, he was hoping to be on the podcast that no one will listen to if they want to play until dawn. <laughs> um, but you guys are the point because nobody should want to play until dawn. I didn't think it was that bad. I've, I I've, thought it was pretty bad. I'm totally not going to have the argument because we'll be here all night. But I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was that bad. I think it was. I think it was that bad. It was all right. I, why? Why did you think it was not that bad? I don't know. It just it didn't. It was okay. Like there was. I'll tell you. So things that bugged me. I, I'll run you through the things that bugged me. Um, a lot of the choices are really arbitrary. Like just. Um, I would say like 95% you, of the choices are arbitrary. Well, and more specifically, like the quick time events. It's like in Mortal Kombat when we found out that none of the quick time events did anything. <laughs> exactly. Like why? Exactly. That was still great. Why even like, have them? In, it until, might have been until even dawn, better. Until, until dawn, it's literally the same thing. There are maybe, there are, there are very thin windows as to when a character can die. So if you failed the quick time event that's in that window, uh, then that character will die. But and actually, for I, the most part, 
the, the majority of the quick time events they don't matter i might add in there too that that's those so so basically most of the time a quick time event if you fail it your character won't they'll just get hurt and they'll be like ow and then they'll keep going um <laughs> but there are there are periods of time where if you fail the quick time you will die and the other thing that kind of irks me about that is it's literally just like you miss one you miss a single button press and boom you're dead uh, is that even true? Because yeah, I, I, thought, I thought Emily was like that, and I I failed. Oh, I don't know about her. One I sh- button, I like I missed one button on Emily during one of her vulnerable windows, mm. and like I I got most of it, but I missed a button or two, and she was still fine. She still lived through the rest of the thing. So so, so literally the first time you control Matt, if you miss his very first quick time, he dies. But he's the, he <laughs> he'll, he dies the easiest because he's the black guy. Yeah, I mean, sure by design. But uh, the um, the point remains. So this is what I feel. So this is what I feel. I feel like so you have eight characters, right? Um, and they're all like, uh, God, they don't even have a real archetype. I can't say everyone kind of acts the same. Everyone kind of is the same. Like three of the four girls are really bitchy. Uh, four of the four guys are just flat out douchebags. So there's not a whole lot that separates them personality wise. I think you just kind of get used to them as you play the game. And, you, you know, it's one of those things where if you're hanging out in a party, you get used to the faces in the party. But after you leave that party, you're not going to remember who anyone is. That's basically the characters in Until Dawn. So, um, so six of those, like, you can tell the story was built around six of those characters, right? Like, the story requires that they live. And then once the plot is done with them, like, the narrative is very, very inflexible. It's not even, like, Telltale or Life in Strange or anything. Like, the narrative is just a straight linear path, and then once the plot is done with that character, that's when that character can die. Um, so you have these six characters you can tell the narrative was built around, and I really feel Matt and Jessica, uh, who literally have nothing to do with the plot, like, they're just not around, and the story can be engineered so that the two of them make it to the end, everyone else dies, and they have no idea what happened. Matt and Jessica, I feel like they were both kind of afterthoughts to the plot. Like, I feel like this game was done with sick characters, and then at the last minute, the developer's like, oh shit, we said this is a game about a player choice. We better throw in two <laughs> other characters that anything can happen to, and then that's when Matt and Jessica showed up in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Well... It, I, I wouldn't dispute that. That's probably which, right. Which, you know, I'm, I'm actually not too upset about that because for how bland everyone was and how I, you know, I, I, I liked I liked the Wendigo lore. I just didn't like that half of the story was like a cock tease. I feel like because of the way Matt and Jessica were treated, they actually had a more compelling narrative in the long run than everyone else who was just kind of running around looking for all these dumb clues and just saying exactly what was happening in the narrative. Yeah, I... Nah. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> well, maybe we'll have a longer discussion about it someday, but... Um, so, what was, what was your problem? dumb and shitty, which is perfect because all horror movies are dumb and shitty empirically. Case yeah, point. but the, see, the thing is, it's it's not so... Until Dawn does a thing, you're basically following one storyline. It it a lot of the a lot of until dawn feels like it was added as like an afterthought. Like I'm I'm pretty confident either the prank storyline or the Wendigo storyline was not planned from the start. That's how the game feels. It feels like they were like two separate things 
someone had an idea for one of these storylines later in the development process and then just kind of rammed it in um, because it really has nothing to do with anything. Like, there's no reason that, that, like, there's literally no connect between Josh's elaborate prank and the Wendigos. There's literally no connection. So here's here's a good end cap then for the discussion, which is, do you, would you have jo- enjoyed Until Dawn more if it was entirely a game about some people who got pranked? I, <laughs> I, I think I would. Yes, I would. And they get to the end and the whole thing was just a prank. Like I in, think that would be... Like in the game with Michael Douglas where he gets yeah, to the like end the game. And, and he kinda, discovers... If, 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 you, if you merged like the game with like Scream 2, it would be perfect. It would be a perfect game. There you go. What What if it was a game about a man who was fed up with modern day society and goes on a rampage across LA, like Michael Ooh. Douglas in Falling Down? Yeah. Um, Ooh, what if What if it was a game about a guy <laughs> who hunts lions, man eating lions on the Serengeti, but then halfway through the movie he gets eaten and it's up to Val Kilmer? So can Can we talk about Until Dawn in the next podcast? Because I'm very curious as to what your thoughts are and you're withholding them. Yeah, maybe we can bring it. Maybe we can bring it up again. We'll see. We'll see you what know, we have to talk about next week. You know. Okay. I don't I, feel like there's anything big coming out, so there's there's probably time. All right. I I mean I feel like there's a, a couple of other tidbits I want to get into, and I have justifications for who I ended up liking and disliking for sure. the in this narrative. So we'll talk about it later. Yeah, we can revisit um, it. But we should we should spend just a moment talking about some effective horror before we you can't you can't bring up it up a little bit and then leave it. Um, so we we will just mention that following in our uh, last few weeks we've each been playing a terrible game, um, and Jay I think got the cream of the crop, which is is it Illumination? It's Alone in the Dark. It's Illumination. Illumination. Alone in the Dark. Illumination. Let me just start with the leading question, Jay, which is: Would you have enjoyed Alone in the Dark? Illumination if it was actually Alone in the Dark? Illuminati. I feel like that's what the Alone in the Dark storyline is, anyway. So there's really no difference. It's the Illuminati. Yeah, I mean, if you play the Alone in the Darks, so there's always some big, powerful secret cult behind it. So how did? So how? But what did if the cult was just pulling like a good prank? That, that was. I just knew you were going to say that. That would have been a better game. <laughs> so, hey. how, how did Atari fuck this one up? So, first of all, they wanted it to be a massively multiplayer. Oh, they, they did? Yeah. Oh, I'm well, pretty sure that's what they do wanted. I, like like any dark. good horror game. <laughs> do I really have to say any more than that? Like any quality horror game. Um, it's basically... As, as much as I kind of... Hate it until dawn. I'm glad that it wasn't alone in the dark. Mm. And oh god, let me think. Uh, so it's 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 like Left 4 Dead. So alone in the dark illumination is like Left 4 Dead. If Left 4 Dead didn't have any of the weapon mechanics or the monster mechanics, and if it wasn't fun. So basically, it's a series that's known for its psychological horror. That they put a shooter element into, right? So. And then so 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 you there are something like I don't know I think there's a there's a ton of characters in Illumination as well, um, different classes, something like five classes maybe. I'm I'm not don't quote me in this. I might be getting it wrong. It I like played the as the I played as the witch and I played as the priest. So first of all, there's a really annoying mechanic where you can only kill enemies if they're standing in light. 
What makes that mechanic so annoying is your light sources are finite, but enemies are infinite. So they can keep spawning, and they can potentially overwhelm you and kill you, and you're done. And you just take your whatever points you got, and you level up your character, and hopefully you do better next time. So I started out playing as the witch, and I died a ton. Uh, I take it she's one of those characters where if you level up her ability, she gets better. Then I started playing as the priest, and the priest is super easy to play as because he can generate his own light sources, so he doesn't need to depend on the environment like everyone else. I took the priest, and as I was playing it, I noticed something. Like, I tried I tried each character once. Um, and so there is a plotline to Alone in the Dark, right? And it's more it's more of a plotline of Upward Dead is. You basically do four maps... That's, like, one whole section of the game. Then you unlock a new chapter, and that's four more maps, etc., etc. And in between, you know, there are no there are no cutscenes. You don't interact with any characters in the game. You just kind of go and blast your way through the level, and there's usually a ton of fetch quests, like, go and fetch five car batteries, and go and fetch five cases of munitions, etc., etc., and then you complete the level. So the story is given to you in the loading screens, right? And the story for each character is different, and I swear to God, it feels like Alone in the Dark's story was written like this. One of the devs was teaching a creative writing class, and he told each of his students, like, hey, I need you to turn in a short story based, based around demons. Here's your character, write this story, and then turn it into me. And that's what they used as the storyline for Alone in the Dark. Like everyone's writing um, is so different. You can tell. You can tell. Like they had different writers for each storyline, and it's just full of like one character is really full of like purple prose. The next character is just like three line sentences each. So it's all really kind of like lazy and and throwaway. And um, yeah, it's not much else to say aside from that. So so it wasn't very good. Is there any sweet raid gear? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think so, actually. I think everything you get, it, it, you just have to level up your stats. On dance emotes? Oh no, there is. You can you can you can unlock no. What you don't you don't get gear. You can unlock alternate colors, and the colors will literally be things like Cthulhu pink or Cthulhu Lovecraft. Pink? Yeah, sort of Lovecraft blue. Um, I don't know what those mean. Yeah, those aren't <laughs> yeah. colors. Do they make you go insane? Is there a heart of Africa black? <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do this. To um, So after after we cover each of these games, it's our duty to go out there and make sure that we share the opinion of someone who actually enjoyed the game, right? Because there's always there's always someone who who liked it. Um, let's see. Uh, so our positive review for Alone in the Dark Illumination uh, is going to come to us from J- Steam user Jupson, who says, "Fun game, not amazing, but solid enough. Definitely way more fun playing with friends than alone. Although it's not bad alone either." Some repetitive gameplay and some really wonky animations. I like the dynamic of each class. They're all very different from one another. My personal favorites are the engineer and the hunter. I would give it a 7 out of 10 probably. Play it with friends and it'll be a fun time. Well, that was actually, that was pretty painless. That's, 
he's you know, clearly not for, a journalist. He wants to for, play alone in the having, dark with um, He wants to play alone in the dark with friends. It would have been for, better. For, for having bad taste, he wrote a pretty good review. It would have been better if you were not alone in the dark. That's basically what he's saying. Like, if it was just the opposite of its own title, it would have been Google fine. Friends in the dark. Friends in the dark. <laughs> friends in the dark. Yeah, but, I mean, game. the game is Friends in the Dark. They wanted a massively multiplayer. Yeah, well, so, I wanted, mean... So that's the other thing. So he says it would be a lot better with friends, and usually I'm an isolationist, and usually I like playing alone. So, for example, Phantom Pain, I just disagree to the toss each time so I can just go straight to my single-player game and um, not bother with any of that shit. With Lone in the Dark, I have tried repeatedly... To find a game, to find like a, a cooperative game with other players, and each time I've done that, I have found zero people on the servers. I mean, there's got to be there's got to be no one playing this game. I mean, except <laughs> except Jupson, and who knows when he's on. <laughs> well, he already has friends to play with. Yeah, Jupson already has friends that he's playing with, so no wonder he's enjoying it so much. Actually, I guess I guess we didn't consider that the review might be a prank. He actually hasn't. I'm looking at his profile now. He hasn't played in the last uh, like two weeks, so <laughs> so it obviously didn't have the Jobson, staying power. Fucking liar! We're on to you, Jupson. He's really enjoying Dishonored, though. So that's something. Yeah, Dishonored is a better game. All right, should we turn our attention to our guest of the evening? No, yeah, I guess <laughs> if we <laughs> if we have to, Josh. Would you say that I would be an accurate person if I characterized you as rather busy? That feels accurate as hell for the last two weeks. Does that, definitely. Does that feel like a tiny bit? So walk me walk me through a, a typical day for for Josh Sutphin. What what are you doing right now? Um. So we're getting our Kickstarter prepared uh, for the game, which is the, we're launching the Kickstarter on Thursday. So like you know we've got what like. 36 hours left or something mm-hmm. and you know i've made video games for 11 years but this is the first time that i've done a kickstarter like this is the first time that i've tried to actually raise money for a game all before this i've worked in studios and like that yeah, that was somebody else's job um and so like you know i i before we started like planning this i did a ton of research and you know like you do and i was like okay i'm super prepared and i know all the stuff and okay we're gonna get this kickstarter ready and so i gave myself like three weeks to get everything to actually do all the work right to do all of the contacting the press and, you know, setting up all of the social media accounts and this and that and the other and the Kickstarter page itself and the back rewards and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it turns out I should have scheduled like five times as much as that. Like <laughs> there's just all of this random shit that comes out of the woodwork that like no one talks about. Just all these little things like and everything takes five times longer than you expect it to. I'm like earlier today. I'm going to make a couple of quick edits to the Kickstarter page. It's basically like ready, but like there were a couple of places where I wanted to like change a sentence here and update a picture. Yeah, it'll take like an hour. Yeah, like six hours later, I'm finally like checking the changes. Like what? Like time vortex. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean to to sum up a day in life right now, it's like I kind of feel like I wake up, I do about an hour of work and somehow it's three o'clock in the morning already. <laughs> So are you finding that there are just every you're just spending more time doing everything than you expected, or that, is there some artificial barrier that's keeping you from? He's he's just working on fonts. He's like, God, what font do I pick? Yeah, <laughs> very wrong. very perfection. No, it's, every time. I don't really feel like there's a barrier. It's it's just it's mostly that things are taking longer than expected, um, which is kind of unsurprising in retrospect because it's stuff I haven't had to do before. 
you know, like mm-hmm. I can estimate how long it's going to take me to write some code in the game pretty accurately, but like I haven't had to make Kickstarter pages and like promo graphics and things all that much before. Um, you probably want to do a good job. Y- yeah. <laughs> Just a little <laughs> and, bit. And, and I, I, I am a little bit of a perfectionist, so, you know, that really never helps when it comes to hitting deadlines. Mm-hmm. So um, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the game too before we go too deep into the Kickstarter. So uh, Legacy of the Elder Star, tell us, give us your your premise here. What's the pitch? Right. So Legacy of the Elder Star is a side-scrolling arcade shooter. Um, it's sort of in the tradition of stuff like Gradius or R-Type. Um, and the the big twist for our game is that it's entirely mouse controlled with like one to one ratio mouse movement. So you can move the character on the screen the same way you move your mouse cursor in like Windows or something like that fast and that accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of being, you know, you play something like our type, you're using a stick and you can only move just so fast. And that kind of sets like the pace of the game, right? Like how fast you can move. And OK, that's part of the challenge of dodging a pattern or whatever. Um, the other cool thing about the fact that we're mouse controlled is we use it a lot for our attacks. So like our main attack uh, or one of our, our main sort of weapons that we're, we're showing off a lot right now is our star dash, which uh, instead of shooting something at an enemy, you click and drag through enemies. And so like enemies can come in, you can imagine them coming in like a line and you can click and drag through that whole line and you can kill them all super, you know, like in blink of an eye, um, you know, or they'll come in like a ring and if you can click and drag a pretty accurate circle around that ring, you can, you know, take out a dozen enemies or something. Um, and then on top of that, we're adding, uh, some kind of more modern stuff. Uh, we can get into this later if you guys want to about, you know, some of the old school shmup differences and stuff, but at the super high level, like the, the shoot 'em up genre is still really, um, arcade focused, I mm-hmm. feel like in terms of its design, right? Like even to the point that like, you know, you can take a shmup on, you know, xbox live arcade or you know something really modern like that and it'll still literally say insert coin in the top right of the screen and some of those kinds of things just because that's part of like the nostalgia of it right like they you know it'll be games that were never even on an arcade and they'll put insert coin up there because it's fucking cool um but we wanted to try and do some stuff that feels a little bit less like we're trying to make a, a throwback to 80s shmups and feels a little bit more like we're making a shmup in 2015 so we have like progression systems and quests and uh, a kind of unique, I think, approach to leaderboards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that was actually something that I was going to ask about. So the game, uh, you, you sent out a demo. Now, is that demo going to be included with people who go and look at the Kickstarter page? Or is, is everybody going to have access to that? Or um, We're actually kind of evaluating that right now. Um, it's not The demo's not going to be publicly available on day one. Okay. Um, it's something that we may uh, decide to bring out uh, a little bit further into the campaign. Um, but we wanted to make sure that, uh, a lot of the people in the press and a lot of the YouTubers and streamers and stuff like that that we've contacted kind of have a chance to do their thing with the demo, uh, before we just put it in everybody's hands. So, you know, that's just kind of a concession, if you will, mm-hmm. we're, we're wheeling and dealing. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. No. And I, I think that's probably, uh, you know, a good way to go about it, kind of get everybody's opinions, let them weigh in and maybe figure out what areas you can polish and change a little more before if before or if you decide to to release it to the public um i don't know who on the podcast played it but i i played it and i thought it looked like it was in you know pretty solid shape for the most part like um very well polished and looked really good um i it's it's interesting that you the way you describe it because i would i would say that that's almost exactly how i would describe it is it's a very unique take on 
like the the bullet hell you know kind of aspect like having that one-to-one control with the mouse makes you able to do a lot of things that are totally not possible in a lot of those other games that you're that you're talking about or that you're focusing on there so yeah it's been such a huge thing for us and really it was some stupid random idea that came to me two years ago when I was playing a port of a cave shmup on my iPhone. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how they control on a touch device, right? You put your finger on the screen and you move your finger and your ship moves however yeah. your finger moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that felt good. And I was like, well, touching a screen is kind of like moving a mouse cursor. Shit, let's try it. And then it was just cool. And now here we are. It's actually weird to me that like that just that mechanic has never collapsed over two years of development. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think the game now, works now really well. Now we need our um, Japanese schoolgirl shmups that use that same mechanic. Is that <laughs> is that what you're holding on for? I'm I'm holding on for that. <laughs> so I, I I I did play it, and it is um, very smooth and very fast. And I think when we get demos like this, it's not usually um, it doesn't usually feel that good. And this feels like incredibly nice how it kind of plays and controls. I think it, it feels it feels really done at least in regards of like you know I will we will get demos periodically where the core game obviously like still needs some work and I feel like that's not where you're at right now. Uh, it feels very complete and like very functional and whole, and it's just kind of a matter of of adding on beyond there. So like I, I think that you've got your core locked in and got everything working and feeling really good in that regard. Um, and so maybe that actually can kind of lead me to my next question, which is tell me what specifically you're hoping to get out of the Kickstarter. Um, what is what is it going to let you do that you would not have been able to do normally? So the place that we're in right now, um, I've been self-funding development on this game for about two years. And I can't really afford to keep self-funding it for long enough to go from... I, I can self-fund it for a little longer. I mean, it's not like we're you know down to you know, three cents and a moth in our wallet. Um, but I can't afford to self-fund it for long enough to take it from where we are today to the finished product that we actually envision. So mm. we're trying to raise enough money on Kickstarter basically to cover the gap. Um, if we don't make our funding goal on Kickstarter and we can't raise any other money from, you know, any other kind of avenues, then we basically have two options. Either we kind of cut the scope of the game back dramatically and we sort of end up with something that's, you know, not an awful lot bigger than the demo you guys have played, actually, where you just kind of have a handful of levels and you sort of kill some stuff and get a high score and that's kind of all there is to it, Uh, which would be disappointing for me because the stuff we want to do with the leaderboards and the online competition and some of the progression mechanics and stuff I think is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, Or the other option is that uh, Eric and I both, and it's just the two of us, by the way, working on the game, um, that Eric and I both would have to go and pick up a bunch of contract work for like a year to get money again. And that just delays the game like a ton. Like we'd be releasing it like Christmas of 2017 or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And neither one of us wants to wait that long either. So, right, right. Well, you, can also process so I, I, you know, I think part of the goal is <laughs> online. First of all, you're barking up the wrong tree with a shmup because what you should really be making is a massively multiplayer survival horror. Right. Massively multiplayer alone in the dark. Anyone? Yeah. Anyone? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's get that. You know, that's a that's a good that's a good fallback, I think. Maybe you guys can just consider like how you could turn it into right. we need to put the word simulator in the title. Yeah. <laughs> how are we going to incorporate Minecraft into it? <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Right, voxels. 
Let me ask, are you boys eating enough? You look thin when I met you. <laughs> uh, dude, oh my god. The amount, you would be terrified at the amount of food I put away. It's ridiculous. So it's not so we're not down to just ramen days yet. No. We're no. just getting we're slowly, <laughs> no. slowly approaching. So yeah, we're not we're not we're not the starving artist stereotype. I mean, we're we're far from rich. I mean we're going to Kickstarter for a reason, but mm-hmm. we, we like <laughs> Honestly, like real talk, like being healthy and sustainable is actually a super important part of the way we approach this. So there you go. I actually want to hear more about that. Lay it on us. What do you got? (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I guess there's a couple angles I could take. You'll have to stop me if I ramble too much, because sometimes when I talk about this, I can just go on forever. We have a strict um, no rambling policy on our podcast. Yeah, you right. Would, you no, I know we've been so concise up to this point. <laughs> you wouldn't hear <laughs> you wouldn't hear anybody rambling on this thing. Um, I I kind of mentioned earlier that I I have worked in the games industry for a long time before, um, eleven years actually, uh, and most of that, the vast majority of that was working in studios. Um, I don't know if you guys, if any of you guys ever played Warhawk or Starhawk on the PlayStation Three. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but uh, those were probably the two biggest games that I worked on in my career. Now, you work on a big game like that, and you know I'm sure you've heard all the horror stories about crunch time and all this stuff in the industry, yeah. right? Um, and we definitely had our fair share of that. And after a little ways after we shipped Starhawk, like I wasn't recovering from the crunch time, like physically and mentally, I wasn't wow. recovering from the crunch of shipping Starhawk. Like months and months were going by, and I still felt like. Like I was tired all the time and I couldn't like remember stuff like weird shit happens when you work like 70 or 80 hours a week for months straight without a day off. Um, And it was just it was bothering me a lot. And I felt like that like that was bad. Like that wasn't a sustainable way to make games or to make really anything creative. Right. Um, That was a big part of the reason I decided to go indie in the first place. Like that's, you know, that's 2013 when I founded Kickbomb and started working on this game. Um, and a big part of the reason for doing that indie and not like building up like a studio or something was so that I wouldn't have to work that kind of crunch anymore. Um, it would give us the opportunity to be a little bit more flexible with our deadlines, flexible with our scope, right? Because a lot of the reason that crunch comes up is because you're inflexible on both of those things. Like the game has to come out on this date because it's got to be in store shelves for Christmas or whatever. And it also has to have these features because that's what's in the contract with the publisher. And so the only thing that can give in that equation is, well, I guess we're not sleeping anymore. Um, you know, right. so we sort of try and keep control of it so that we don't have to do that. Um, and then the other thing, since this did come off of the the topic of sort of the, the ramen diet, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get, Eric and I are both Eric and I are both kind of I don't know if foodie is the right term, but like like we both grow gardens and and we try to like eat organic and like all of the hippie shit, right? Um but it matters. It actually makes an enormous difference like in terms of like our mental energy in particular, which is so crucial for doing creative work, right? Like if you're like foggy brained all the time, like your work just sucks. And it's not only that you're doing bad quality stuff, but it's not even fun to do. And like so, we're making games, like it's got to feel good while we're doing it, right? So, so this is my advice, right? A little background on me. I'm, I'm actually a pretend game reviewer, but what I do to actually make money and, and to make a living is I'm a filmmaker. Okay. And uh, the last film that I shot was a short little documentary. We went and shot the surfer on a beach in North Carolina. And it was just me and another dude. And we had a lot of fun and we were like just completely relaxed and we came back. To New York, we were just 
fully energized. So this is my advice. All development should take place on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> just move your computers out and your computers and servers out to a beach and just do right. it there. Have you guys heard of uh, Have you guys heard of Colin Northway? He made Incredipede. Um, I don't know that I have. Oh, I've God, not heard of him. Game. <laughs> um, look, so it's an indie game. Incredipede is an indie game. Um, right. You should look it up sometime because it's actually really clever. It's kind of like uh, I'm gonna. Uh, this is probably gonna be a butchered description, but if you imagine, like, are you familiar with Quop? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So yeah, if you imagine great. something like Quop uh, that takes itself slightly more seriously. Um, and it's about basically these uh, sort of bug-like, <laughs> kind of bug-like weird organic forms. And each level, you have to sort of figure out how the hell to get the form to walk properly. And they're all different, right? Every level is, is a different form and different sort of configurations of legs and body and joints and all this shit. And you have to figure out how to get it through a certain level of obstacles. Right. Um, it's a really interesting concept. It's your, you know, kind of IGF type indie game, right? Like... Um, I think it may have actually been an IGF finalist. I can't remember for certain now. But anyway, the reason I bring up Colin Northway, uh, his story is really interesting because he makes all of his games, him and his wife, while traveling the world. Like, they literally do huh. game development on a beach. They take their laptops hmm. to, like, a beach in Thailand or Costa Rica or some shit. And they just, they'll hang out. They'll be like, eh, I think we'll chill in Costa Rica for, like, six weeks. Work on our game. Okay, we're tired of Costa Rica now. Let's go to, like, I don't know, Iceland sounds cool. Like, and they just travel <laughs> around. They actually did a GDC talk, uh, I think, two years ago. Uh, exactly about that and like how they did it and stuff is super inspiring stuff. Wow, that is actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's very cool. I yeah. I wish that we could all be doing this on a beach. Right? Maybe maybe this time next year, right? Maybe we could all reconvene sometime on like the shore of the Great Salt Lake. There you go. Tent, like <laughs> there you go. Yeah, um, nothing makes you want to travel more than that. To, to, right? to, to those, it smells so good. <laughs> Yeah. So, Josh, can you tell us how gluten is detrimental to good game design? <laughs> That's a big topic. Yeah, I, I don't know. I eat a shitload of gluten, honestly. <laughs> not a gluten-free guy. It's the best. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's talk about the um the Kickstarters more. So, what kinds of features are you hoping to implement? I know I know you mentioned some of the online and the leaderboard, but um, like ideally, what is this Kickstarter funding? I haven't had a chance to look at it. Right. Okay. So the main the main things that we're looking to add to the game. So I guess I should quickly say what we have right now is core gameplay, and you know, so you can like what you guys saw in the demo. But for the sake of everybody listening, we have core gameplay where you can sort of go into a level and shoot everything and blow everything up and get a high score, and it's like the core of a shmup, right? What we want right. to add and what the Kickstarter is going to fund is all of the other stuff that exists around that. So uh, one of those things is a weapon unlock and upgrade system. Um, so as you play through, you'll collect resources and complete, um, sort of these skill-based challenges, uh, that will unlock new different kinds of weapons and special abilities for you. And then once you have, uh, you know, and you, and you get to pick which weapons you want to have equipped every time you go into a level. Um, and as you use those weapons, then you can, uh, basically earn XP for a weapon and level up that weapon, which unlocks additional upgrades for it. And some of those are things like, okay, the weapon does more damage or it shoots faster, like basic stuff. And some of them are creative things like, okay, you know, so you're shooting like a gun and the bullets will, uh, when you unlock the upgrade will bounce from enemy to enemy and hit multiple enemies at a time. Um, you know, or you'll unlock something like one of our weapons is a swarm missile. So when you hold down the button, you get like a targeting ring around your character. And as you move around the screen, you paint targets and you let go of the button and swarm missiles come out and track all the targets that you painted. Um, so you can imagine an upgrade for that weapon where while you're targeting, time slows down. 
So you don't have to move with the movement of the enemy pattern. They're almost like frozen in, uh, frozen in place. So imagine upgrades ah. like this. So that's weapon unlocks and upgrades. Um, there's another system that we want to add, which is uh, bounties. Um, and so bounties are actually kind of really inspired by the, the way the bounty system in Destiny works, um, where what you have is a daily rotation of randomly selected like secondary goals. So right. it'll be things like kill some number of enemies without dying or complete a stage without getting hit or kill this boss under a really short time limit or whatever. Um, and the bounties in our game, when you clear them, give you a huge score bonus. So a stage that you might, you know, normally complete with uh, three, four or five million points. Maybe, you know, you complete a bounty on top of it and you get another million points bonus on top of that. Of course, it's harder because you got to do the bounty objective. And right. then that ties into the third big feature that we want to bring in with the Kickstarter, which is the way we want to do our online leaderboards. So like leaderboards are super common for shmups anyway. Um, but the thing that we kind of hate about leaderboards is for the vast majority of people, the leaderboards are basically meaningless because they're never going to have a shot at like the top 10 or the top 100, right? Like, and I'm sure we've all had that experience in any game with leaderboards that you play for a while and you think you're doing good and you're like, okay, let's see where I am on the leaderboard. And you're placed number 187,354. <laughs> yeah, and you're yeah, like, I'm what the fuck? One. And you go look at who's the guy at number one. And number one has like three orders of magnitude higher score that looks literally impossible. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, this is bullshit. I'm not even going to bother. Every um, time you see the initials ass on the leaderboard, that's actually Doug. <laughs> yeah, Doug's actually, good to know. Doug's actually really good at games. Just all of them. <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> right. So the thing that we're doing a little different with leaderboards is uh, we're breaking down into tiers, uh, like leagues. So you'll have bronze, silver, gold, and platinum tiers of leaderboard for each level in the game. Um, everybody will start out at bronze. And then every week, at the end of the week, we'll take the top some number and it'll depend on how many people we have maybe it's the top five percent of players on the leaderboard let's say uh we'll take the top five percent in bronze and they'll graduate up to silver and the top five percent in silver will graduate up to gold and so forth and so like if you placed highly in the bronze tier on a certain level this week the next week you're competing on the silver tier um and so forth and so on And you earn a trophy each time you graduate a tier and so you can like collect all the trophies and fill out your trophy case in game um and what we think is going to be kind of cool about that is it's kind of breaking the player base up by skill so that right. like, all the people in the bronze tier are competing against other bronze tier level people and so forth, right? So hopefully you'll actually have a chance on some leaderboard somewhere in the game you know, to feel like you can make a real shot at a high position and, and actually get into the competitive side of it. Mm-hmm. That, sounds, that sounds like a good way to kind of keep it fair and... and um keep it going you know it's it 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 reminds me of league of legends only not bad (laughs) (laughs) only fun (laughs) um so that's good so i'm 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 curious this is this is like a a slight tangent but i'm kind of curious about your character design and um and and i don't know i guess what jay was to ask is why why aren't they little schoolgirls? Is that, is that what you're getting why, at? Why, why aren't they? Why aren't they? Jet, why aren't they Korean schoolgirls? Thank you. Because <laughs> maybe, maybe, there's maybe. way too many goddamn games with those in them. Maybe okay. you can give us. Maybe you can give us more of an origin <laughs> for the art style. So, um, <laughs> I mean, just just a simpler question, perhaps. <laughs> um, well, I mean, in a way, they're kind of the same question, actually, because. Uh, 
when I hired Eric on about a year ago to start doing art, I, you should know, am the worst artist on the earth. Um, so it's really important that we have Eric on the game. <laughs> um, when I hired Eric a year ago to start working on the art, you know, the first conversation we have is, okay, what's going to be the art style? And I didn't really have anything specifically in mind. Like at that time, I had been prototyping myself for a year and the game was like triangles and squares and stuff, right? Um, and I had this kind of cool mechanic and I didn't really know like how we were going to represent it. And all I told him was, you know, there are way too many shmups out there that are about either spaceships or anime girls. And it's not that those <laughs> things are bad, but like that's every shmup, right? Like it's sort of you get one or the other or sometimes spaceships piloted by anime girls or maybe a spaceship that turns into an anime girl, right? Like right. there's not a ton of like aesthetic variety. So I said, don't do spaceships and don't do anime girls. Um, you should play as a character instead of a vehicle so that we can actually have some like character, like personality and stuff. It's really hard to put personality into like a tank, right? Like mm -hmm. it's a tank, it blows shit up, whatever. Like what, what's a funny tank? What's a sad tank? Like, I don't know. <laughs> the Landmaster? Clearly you've never played <laughs> Choaniki. <laughs> um, but that was about all I told him though. Like, right. was, you know, uh, no spaceships, no anime girls. Uh, you play as a character. Oh, and it should be really colorful. Go. And and what you see in the game is pretty much the first thing he came up with, honestly. Like, he sketched up some stuff and threw it over to me and was like, what do you think? And I was like, that's fucking awesome. Do more of that. And, nice. And we just kept doing that for a year. And, like, here we are. And people seem to like it. I, I'm super happy with it. Um, we figured out a ton of the stuff as we go along, honestly. Like, in terms of the art style and also in terms of things like the character development and, like, the tone and even to the soundtrack and stuff. Like, it's all just one thing kind of leads to another, and we figure out what feels right each step of the way. You know, I, 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 I like the way that um, it all kind of getting together. In fact, when I played it, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Jarrett was just like, download this, play it. Um, our, our, this guest is going to be on the podcast. So I did, and I didn't really know what I, what I was expecting. And I wasn't expecting a shmup from the screenshots and all that kind of stuff. And I started when I started playing it, I think I was pleasantly surprised. Um, and you know, you 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 say no, no spaceships, no anime girls, but the way the the attack animations and all that kind of play out, it's got this really nice, fluid kind of anime style to it that I think actually works really excellently for, like, the attacks and all that. And I really like how colorful it is. Uh, it's kind of like a modern um, Western comic book, but it's really got its own kind of sense of style and sense of flair that's going on. I think you guys kind of, like, landed, like, stuck that landing in terms of the art. I, I think um, you guys have really taken a genre that, at least for me personally, I just am not even bothering with. Like, it's not... I don't, it's not necessarily something like a MOBA that I despise. It's more something like, I just don't even think about it. Like I couldn't, I think the last game like this that I played was probably like Ikaruga, maybe. It's the um, one most people know. On the Dreamcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like how old, that game's like 10 years old or more. Yeah. It's still great yeah. though. It's still really good. <laughs> but, um, so I, it's, so take it as a compliment, hopefully that this game I think feels so much better than than most of the other games like that it's so different it doesn't feel like just more of the same um, yeah 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 I'll, I'll say it i hate shmups like pretty badly but you put it you put the mouse in my hand and it's uh it's pretty fun very i uh, i mean i mean um i don't i don't hate them but i'm in jared's 
boat where I just don't care. And we have a semi-editor on the website who links, I guess it's Toho. That's a big one. I don't know if, you, if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, I, th- I think it's Toho. Toho? Okay. Yeah. So I like, like he and his friend will always link from that. And I vaguely know how some of the characters look, but uh, I really haven't cared in a long time. And I'm like, well, if someone put this in my hands instead, Elder Star in my hands. This is something that I want. I would want to play. I, I really like everything about it, and um, you know, I like picking your loadout at the start. I watch the animation guide to figure out which weapon I wanted in terms of going in and uh, dealing with the level. And yeah, I just like. I think this is like it's got its own charm that I haven't seen in a shmup, and it almost reminds me of like the really kind of old school. Earthworm Jim, Bubsy Bobcap, 2D side scrollers, but a lot faster mm. and a lot more fluid, you know. I like I like Earthworm Jim. I think that's a good kind of interesting yeah. interesting comparison for it. Probably not something that was on your guys' mind when you were doing it. I don't think people I don't think people think about Earthworm Jim very often. <laughs> silent because he's super mad. <laughs> I no, actually, I'm 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 sitting here wishing that I had had Eric come on the podcast with us because the fact that you mentioned that um the the artist who I believe actually created Earthworm Jim, if I'm not mistaken, certainly someone who was very influential in that project, but I think he actually created him, uh, Doug Tenapple, mm-hmm. <laughs> is one of Eric's big artistic influences. Like, it's somebody oh, nice. that he talks to me about a lot. So we actually, well, he anyway actually was thinking about uh, Earthworm Jim and uh, like Invader Zim and some of that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> are, are definitely among his influences. It's actually funny because most of his inspiration uh, comes from outside of games. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's not the kind of person who's looking at other video games to figure out how sh- uh, stuff should look. Um, you know, he's really bringing it from uh, a lot of film and animation and like comic books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of what, what you want. Like, I think that's, yeah, I that's think why that your game you... looks unique. Yeah, that's that, that that's what gets you kind of like the, a fresher, quirkier style. I think, you know, no matter what entertainment industry you work in, um, whether it's video games or films or whatever, if you're able to look at other sources for your inspirations and, and just kind of really combine them all in a way that meshes really well, kind of what you have here with the Elder Star, um, that's what you that's what you need. You need someone who knows how to bring that kind of like fresh outside perspective. Like, I see what you're trying to do with the game. But I'm bringing in these these influences from here, here, and here, and I think that's a great thing. And well, I can I see it. You know, now, now that you mention it, like now that you actually mention it, I could I could see. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the your animated gifts right now. I can see where the where it comes from. Where oh yeah, you got this from Western animation, all this kind of stuff. And I think that's like excellent. But if I if you presented this as just kind of a separate standalone product, I wouldn't think that. I would just look at it and I go, oh, this is just something different and. I I would play this. I like this. I'm super glad to hear all of this stuff from you guys. I'm like I'm I'm happy right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that if I was if I was maybe just making any kind of comment towards it, I would just say that I think that you have a little bit of an uphill battle, just in the sense that I know that others are probably just as dismissive of shmups as like say myself or Michael or something like that. Um, and so it was really something where I don't feel like I completely understood until it was in my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, if there was, if you're on the fence about whether or not to give the public a demo, I would, I would comment that I think it'll make an enormous difference for you guys. 
Um, yeah. Because it is really something where until you like feel it and feel just like I, to me, like bullet hell, that sort of thing. It's not fun. Like it's frustrating to me. But as soon as that mouse is in my hand, it gives you like this degree of control where it doesn't feel unfair or cheap or anything like that anymore. Like it just feels uh, uh, challenging and not nearly as frustrating. Like it was still hard. I still died plenty of times, uh, particularly in that last level in the demo. But um you know, it, it just it, it has a different feel to it, and I think that uh, you know, I, I think you you say feel, but I think it's kind of look and feel. I think when I when I saw the the press materials that came with it, because I took a look at those first, um, and I saw, for example, the little blade thing that he does, the wavy laser blade thing, where he just flies through enemies and slices them up. I look at that, I'm like, oh, I I, I want to know how that works. I want to I want to know what that is right away. It looks really cool. Um, it looks really fluid and awesome. I want to try that out. So, um, you've, you've got a lot of that stuff in the trailer too, where, um, you're pulling off things that look really cool. Like the, the homing missiles, they look really neat. Um, and, and so like you, you see that kind of stuff and you're like, Oh, I want to do that. And and it doesn't take much and you are doing that. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's like, you see, (laughs) <laughs> for 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 kind of um uh, this isn't the comparison but Final Fantasy 13 for example the early demos right you saw uh lightning running around and doing all this awesome stuff it was all in real time and you're looking at the game and you're like oh that looks so awesome and cool i can't wait to do that like there's no way they're going to be able to pull that off in real life and then the game comes out and there's no way they were able to pull it off in real life uh with the outer <laughs> star <laughs> With Elder Star, it's the exact opposite. You look at it, and you're like, oh, man, it looks so cool. I can't wait to pull that off. And then you get to pull it off right away, and it's like the most awesome thing. So I think it's good. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I want to... I want to divert just a little bit because we're, I mean, we're, we're not, we're going to go over on time for sure by just a little bit, but, um, I want to talk a little bit about your work with the Utah Games Guild specifically. Um, and maybe just, I, I think I'd actually start rather than giving you a question, but maybe instead giving you, uh, perhaps a compliment. Um, and that compliment would be that we, uh, went to PAX earlier this year. Um, and when well, earlier this year, just a few weeks ago, we were at PAX. Very good, Jared. And, uh, and while we were there, we attended uh, we attended uh, six, which is the Seattle Indies Expo, uh, and it's basically an event for people who maybe just aren't far enough along that they were able to afford a booth or a spot in PAX, and so they go to this expo, which just runs right down the street, and it uh, it carries on after the show hours, so that you can basically wrap up at the show and then go hit these games as well, and um, I think that. I think that just by being in Seattle and being Seattle-based indies, if I'm being honest, there is there's an inherent assumption that they're going to be doing a better job than the indies in Utah. Um, and I, I I don't know how to how to uh, defend that point. What, aside what, he, from, what he's saying, what he's they, basically, saying is Seattle in a, can suck it. They're in a, town for life. They're in a they're in a real city, and so because they're in a real city, sometimes you you just assume that everybody in there is going to do a better job. And they're better than us. I think Talon Pool is probably larger. I think that Michael would probably agree with me here when when I say that everything that we saw there was substantially lower quality than what we saw from from uh, your your game, your members, everybody who was at the Salt Lake Gaming Convention um, a few months ago. Uh, 
it's it's like not even a close comparison. Like I think that everything that you guys had on display at the Salt Lake Gaming Convention was so so so. Let me let me turn this to like an actual question because yes. I, I I looked at I looked at some of the um I I haven't seen anything from Seattle so I I can't make any kind of comparison. But I did see some of the stuff that was going to be at the Salt Lake Gaming Convention, and I looked at a couple of the games, and I'm like, wow, these are games that I'm actually curious about, and I would like to play them. And that's not something I say often. Um, I'm, like, super cynical when it comes to video games, if you couldn't tell about with the Intel Dawn. So how do you kind of, like, curate um, the list of developers you have? Is it is it people that you approach, or do they approach you, and there's a screening process, or is it just, like, dumb luck? Like, what is it? So... I I kind of feel like Jared had an implicit question about the difference between a community like Seattle and Utah. And then there's mm-hmm. also your question about how we curate. And I feel like I can answer both of those together by saying sure. this. Um, the thing about Utah that nobody knows and that is a big part of the reason why we formed the Utah Games Guild is because we have a fuck ton of talent here and they're fucking awesome. Um, you know, I, I think you tend to think of a place like Seattle or San Francisco or New York City or Boston or Toronto or Austin or wherever, um, as like Jared said, you know, you sort of assume that their output is going to be better because you've heard of them before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some really good stuff has come out of there. I mean, you know, in Seattle, um, you know, not like right downtown Seattle, but basically the Seattle area, you've got Valve, you've got Microsoft, you've got Bungie, right? Um, and so you sort of think, well, of course that's going to trickle down to the indie community. And, and so it's going to be so amazing, but like, you know, that's not necessarily true of every single right. indie, like just like right. any community, they've got some people there that are amazing. And then they've got some people there that this is the first time they've ever done this and they have no idea what they're doing. And you know, that's, that's true of the Austin community. I can say firsthand cause I lived in Austin for three and a half years. Um, that's kind of the case everywhere. The thing about the Utah indie community that's been, surprising for us is that the amount I I guess I should say like the percentage of the community that's working on really good games like you talk about the stuff that we had at Salt Lake Gaming Con that it's a high percentage we didn't curate Salt Lake Gaming Con right we literally we turned no one away right we opened a call for submissions on the Utah indie game devs mailing list uh, which is just everybody in Utah that that we've been able to find and we should talk about that issue in a minute um that you know we've been able to find that works on indie games in any capacity and it's there's like a hundred people on that list and we just email blasted everyone and said hey look we're going to do this big event at salt lake gaming con anyone who's interested you know it's going to cost x amount uh so that we can cover our costs and you know just like let's get with it and the people that you saw on the show floor were all of the people who responded to us and like that was just that was just the quality that came out of it. It was the same when we did uh, a similar event at Salt Lake Comic Con last year. Um, and again, there, like it was universally good quality. Like, and and as the Utah Games Guild, our only role in that really functionally was that we set up the event. Like, we weren't going through. Like I said, we didn't curate. We weren't going through and like helping anyone make their games better or like even down to the point of like the stuff that they had in their booths, like their banners and their posters and artwork and all that stuff. Like that was all them. You know, mm-hmm. we said, we said, come and try not to suck. <laughs> and and they came and they did not suck. Like we were, I think, I think we, as the organizers were as impressed as it sounds like you guys were, honestly. Um, Salt Lake Gaming Con was awesome. Like we're over the moon about how that show went. I mean, ab- absolutely. The high I- point of that show, um, you know, by a wide margin 
Um, except for the Guitar Hero 4 guitar or Rock Band 4. What, what is it? Wasn't that the one that was NDA'd to hell and back, even though they had it on an expo floor or something? It was broken too. Someone broke it on like the second day. Because so they were pissed about the NDA. One of the frets didn't work. So yeah, that, that, that was pretty good stuff. Um, but yeah, you, you guys were, were far and away. Um, so so, so at, at, um, before, before Jared talks about how great the show was, I can imagine at the same time, you know, the weird thing about being in a big city like New York is you do get a lot of access to all sorts of different artists. And um, I've worked with some really, really great people and some great and some very talented people in between film. And like I do a lot of stuff with art um, and just kind of like in the comic book scene. And I've had a great time with them, but I can say something about being in a, in a big city because you mentioned like valve and and everyone else who's located in seattle something about being in a, in a big city kind of breathes that attitude of competition and me first so i've had an easier time especially working with artists um and working with actors i've had an easier time going out of state and finding people from either other um cities or other countries entirely and working with them and saying, hey, let's collaborate on a project and saying, oh, yeah, it's cool. Let's let's do this. It sounds like fun. It sounds awesome. Let's do it. Then I have in, in, in New York where people are like, OK, well, how much money is this going to be? Uh, I'm sorry, I can't do it right now. I'm going to get like a bigger job. It's almost like it's almost like being in that rush to the big city it means everyone always has to be like successful 100 percent of the time and doesn't really allow you to kind of like relax and create um, as it does in other places. So uh, I can imagine that has a little something to do with it as well. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's. I would agree with that, um, at, at least for the most part. I think one of the things, I mean, speaking specifically of New York, like it's expensive as hell to live there. So yeah. I can imagine a little bit of it is you've got people, even if they're not necessarily in the competitive mindset, like I must be the best, <laughs> even just being the mindset of I must make rent could yeah, potentially exactly. put somebody, you know, I mean, my God, like our, our cost of living here is low, right? Like that's, we actually have a guy uh, who moved here from New York city just recently, just a few months ago. Uh, he's an indie developer and he moved here as a specific decision. Like he was looking to get out of New York city because of the cost of living. And he was looking around the country at all these different places that he could go. And he picked Salt Lake city specifically as a place to come and be an indie developer. Um, I'm, I'm supposed to be living with, um, Jared. That just didn't happen because of health issues, but maybe we can reconsider that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the, as a as a as a wise man once said, this is the place <laughs> to be to make indie games. That's nice. the full sentence. Well, that's nice. Carl Malone. <laughs> yeah, that's Carl Malone. <laughs> yeah, this is the place to come get your brand new Toyota. It's perfect. It's the dream. Let me ask this: um, Is there any? Are there any projects uh, that are? I mean, you know, the, the the guild is kind of something where, like you were saying, um, there's no like restricted membership or anything like that. It sounds like anybody who wants to participate is welcome to participate. Um, so maybe before I ask this, let's let's go on to kind of the other thing that you were mentioning, which is um, you you've mentioned before that it's hard sometimes. Like the talent is here, the people are here. But you've had struggles kind of digging those people out sometimes, right? And reaching out to those to those yeah. folks. Where do you where do you think uh, do you have an idea of where those challenges kind of hail from? What what is the the barrier that stops you from 
from meeting Is it because their leader won't let them out of the compound? <laughs> um, you know, you joke, but... <laughs> um, I, 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 I don't know, joking. like... I, I feel like I feel like there's a whole constellation of factors, and I don't even know that we've identified all of them yet. Um, part of it is because you know when you think about those other places, Seattle, New York, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a concentration of developers in an urban area. Like people can sort of walk to each other's apartments and stuff like that, right? Whereas here, like our developers are scattered from Ogden to Provo. Um, and I think it's harder to find people because of that reason. Like we have to drive everywhere to have a meetup. So you don't really have that as much of that opportunity of like, oh, I was in the you know coffee shop one morning and I bumped into a guy and it turns out he's an indie developer too. Like we don't have those serendipitous meetings really like because of the way that our, our community is spread out. Um, For and those I of you who me- aren't in Utah, people will drive from next door to like the shop next to it. So – this is true. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely true. It's very much a driving um, city. It's, it's we'll the least walking friendly this. place I have ever lived in my life. Yeah, I, uh, that's absolutely the case. Which I like a lot of things about Utah. I hate that about Utah. It drives me nuts. Even downtown is like not like our blocks are enormous and the whole place shuts down and turns into freaking, you know, left for dead ghost town at like 6 p.m. on like a Wednesday. Like it's ridiculous. I, anyway. Yeah, Utah sucks. See, um, I, I, because I because I grew up here, like I'm the exact opposite. Like I I go to like Chicago and I want an apple, and it's like, well, you're gonna have to walk there. And it's like, well, fuck. Now I don't even want the apple. <laughs> oh, Jared, you're, you're coming here in November, right, Jared? Uh, I think I'm I think I'm still on track to do that. I think I'm going to do that. Uh, man, you're gonna hate it so much. I know. I'm already unhappy. I'm looking at like maps of Manhattan, and I'm trying to figure out like. They don't have apples in it. Where are all the apple vendors? They don't even seem to be there. Wait, wait. Are you saying they, they sell no apples in the Big Apple? Um, I mean, it's all kale now. We, we it's all pizza, right? It's all just pizza and bagels. It's all it's all just pizza and bagels. Actually, you can get an apple pretty easy. There's like there's fruit vendors all over the place. Can you oh. get a good deep dish pizza? Yeah. Can uh, I get a? Fuck you, Doug. You you can actually. <laughs> Do they open like Chicago eateries there and you guys just like burn them down the next day? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here with your think, pizza pies. I think I think that's reserved. I think burning stuff down is reserved for Bostonians only. We only do that to them. Oh, good. <laughs> so, um so yeah, so I, I that's what so geography is kind of one challenge. Yeah, geography is um, a challenge. I don't um, I don't mind I don't mind treading the line here if you don't. Do you think that to some degree it is a, a culture thing? Um and that maybe like uh, the religion can play a part in getting people to to join the group or having a harder time in that regard. I think the culture thing is a challenge. I'm not sure how much of the culture thing is the everyone's Mormon thing, and it's not literally everyone, but sure. you know, I digress. I'm not I'm not sure how much of the culture thing has to do with the religion specifically, or how much of it. Like, there's more to Utah culture, even to stereotypical Utah culture, than just people are Mormon, right? Like, sure. We have a, we have a proud history of killing native Americans, (laughs) um, for a certain definition of proud, which is actually the exact opposite of that (laughs) definition. Um, no, but I mean, there's things. I I heard Jared brag about it. (laughs) (laughs) Out in meadows for life. (laughs) Yeah. That's a tattoo. I have anyway, continue. Um, You know, one of the one of the things that uh, that I've heard people from outside of Utah say, and I didn't notice this. I grew up here. I did not notice this growing up here, but I did notice it after I lived in Texas and then came back. Um, 
is part of the Utah culture seems to be that people are a lot more passive aggressive here than they are elsewhere. Um, so when they have a problem, uh, especially the more serious the problem, they don't want to address it directly. They want to kind of talk around it. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that, that's an American thing. Yeah, see, no, no, but okay. that doesn't happen. Okay. Oh, come on, Lucio. <laughs> you, say, you say, what's the matter with you? I see what's the matter with me. We can't no, all be, we can't all be shouting at each other at the top of our lungs and threatening one another with knives like they do in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, how, many, you know how many times, how many times have I openly challenged the rest of you guys? See, that's not, a, that's a, it's just, New York's not like that. Jay's right. Jay's an argumentative, uh, but keep in mind that the one who argues back is me. Hey, we in New York. In, in New York, just, you'll jump the guy when he's we, not looking. Exactly. In New York, we just call what happens with us saying hello. Now, now let Josh finish his thought. <laughs> God, you I fucking New Yorkers I'm, I'm and Spaniards! What is what I'm saying is that that's that aggressive New York nature. <laughs> My point is that you know usually when I go to the United States because I don't consider Miami part of the United States, but. <laughs> um, I sometimes everybody's so nice that I kind of get suspicious because I'm not used to it. I'm expected to like, get back just, you know, when I'm talking they, to somebody. They can tell like, you're from Argentina. They don't want you to stab them. They're just trying to be careful, you know. Boy, if, you you're, talk. if you're already freaked out by that, then don't ever come to Utah because everyone here's like creepy nice. I was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, that, I don't, why aren't you like yelling at me? <laughs> yeah they are, um they are nice folk here for sure yeah and like and it's 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 great that everybody's like super nice but like you know like i said there's just sort of the, the passive aggressive kind of thing um that i think sometimes comes up and i think you know i i feel like i'm kind of having some trouble connecting the dots here uh i always have trouble connecting these dots these particular dots but i i kind of feel like when you've got people who are sort of culturally um let's say non-confrontational, I, I feel like there also comes along with that a tendency to feel uncomfortable with like uh, any kind of self-promotion or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, oh, you know, we don't want to be the kind of people who, you know, are bragging and, and seem like we're really like arrogant and full of ourselves. And the problem with that, when you're working in game development, especially as an indie, is you have to fucking tell people what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Like right. obscurity is the biggest problem for indies. And so we have all of these people who it's like they're making cool stuff. And I've met some of them, you know, every time the Utah Games Guild does a show like Gaming Con or Comic Con, we meet people all day, every day of the show that did not know that there's a game development industry here and they're making a game. And we ask them to tell us uh, about their game and like they're it's like they're like uncomfortable to do it at first and they kind of well it's sort of like i mean you kind of like do game stuff or whatever and it's like we kind of have to pry a little bit but once You're we right. finally get to what their game is it's cool like you guys saw it at gaming con like those games are awesome um mm -hmm. and so but it's like people are like uncomfortable to to just say stand up and be like look i make games and my game is this and i think it's cool and like i want to be part of this community so it's hard for us to find people that way because they might be right in front of us. We might even be having a conversation with them. But because they don't say what they're doing, they're not comfortable like really putting it out there. We we never find out. I think you mean, you, mean, you mean Doug Doug hasn't Doug, about, Doug like, doesn't bring him out. motion capture. Like he's got he's been he's been plugging away at this thing for like nine years. He's doing he's doing some Oculus Rift shit. It's gonna be really weird. 
It's pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> it's very avant-garde. But but no, I, I, I would say that I, I would say that I even noticed that a little bit at the gaming con. There were just a few people who, you know, we'd go over there and we'd watch their game for a little bit and it felt like we kind of had to maybe like ask them to talk to us. Like, look, come over <laughs> here and talk to us a little bit. Everyone's um, so shy, and I'm pretty shy, so yeah. it's like insane. Doug's Doug's a pretty shy little fella, so it's, it's so you guys looked at each other from one end of the room to the other. So, um, and so to follow that up, I did want to ask, um, you know, we've talked a lot about your project tonight, your, your Kickstarter, which we're, of course, going to promote on, on our page. We want to see you guys have as much success there as you can. Um, you. On top of that, I also just wanted to ask, are there any, and I, I understand that it's like picking a favorite child, but are there any standout projects that you would mention that are af- affiliated or associated with the guild as well? Anything that you think is... Uh, making particularly great strides right now. Anything that you would mention just beyond your own stuff? Um, yeah, there's actually kind of several that I could bring up. Um, there's most of these you will have seen at, at Salt Lake Gaming Con. Um, so there's a game called Crash Knots. Um, they're actually on Kickstarter right now. Mm-hmm. Their game is basically Super Smash Brothers with guns. Like if you took, if Super Smash Brothers and Quake 3 Arena made Sweet Love Down by the Fire, like, Crash Knots is kind it. of the game that you would get out of it. Um, and <laughs> yeah, maybe we should all just take a moment and really think through, you know, just enjoy that fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that, that's actually another one where we're hoping to maybe do a little bit more uh, for them as well in the next like week or two. Um, I was going to try and have something to go up to correspond with their Kickstarter when they launched it, but I just it just didn't quite pan out that way. But it's okay, because Kickstarter's run for a while, so I think we can still get them a little bit of promotion right. and kind of help them a little bit. But they that, had a pretty good start, too, that actually. Was, yeah, actually, I think they're in I think they're in pretty good shape. Like, they're they're probably one who doesn't even really need our help all that much, but but we'll do what we can. Um, and it, it is a, it, it's a unique game. Well... Let me step back a little bit. So I think that there are a lot of indies out there right now who are emulating the Towerfall uh, design. And I think I think Crash Knots gets a little close to it, but there are a few things that they're doing that I really, really like that Towerfall does not do. So like they have um, a, a map that scrolls. So like there's a horizontal scroll to it, which is something that you did see in like, say, Smash Brothers or something like that. And that totally changes the dynamic. Um they have, of course, uh, their character customization, which is really, really cool. You can pick a guy and like change out his head and change out his feet, and like you can basically make like the bug man of your dreams. Um, and let's be honest here, I dream about them a lot. Um, so, we don't, Jared, we don't. yeah, I'm, all right. Got... So that was only that was only one game, though. We're spending. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep going. Let's go down the list. <laughs> um, right. So that so that was Crash Knots. Um, another one that was a Salt Lake Gaming Con uh, was Rogue Invader. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rogue Invader is an isometric roguelite. Um, so it's one of these games that it kind of has like, uh, procedural generated levels and permadeath and, uh, character customization. The thing that's really, there, there's kind of two things that are really interesting about their project. One is that, uh, their theme is that it's an alien invasion in reverse. So instead of the aliens invading earth, it's humans invading the aliens homeworld. Um, and then the other part of it is their visual style um, is what they call one bit HD. 
Um, so it's black and white, but it's it's literally black and white. Um, they make shades of gray by doing dithering or stippling the black and white pixels. It's the kind of aesthetic that you got out of early Mac games back when Macs were black and white and they had like a seven inch screen. Um, I, I, I sometimes am worried about how many people even remember those and it makes me feel really old when I remember playing games on those. <laughs> like uh, Prince of Persia. Or... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And like I would talk to people at, at Salt Lake Gaming Con who, you know, they looked like they were my age and they'd give me this blank look and I'd be like, how old are you? And they're like, oh, I'm like 23. And I'm like, you never heard, oh my God, this sucks. It's starting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm it has started. Uh, We're you, well into it. I'll tell you right now, man. That just gets worse. Oh, yeah, dude. Just, it does get worse. Oh, I know. It's gonna get I, to the point where people don't even remember when you had to I, start I, a computer with a crank. You know, I have <laughs> right? I I have people that I will make a Back to the Future two reference, and they'll look at me blankly, and it just it's the worst feeling. Yeah, you're just. Like, are you even a person? Like, what's happening right now? <laughs> I was I was being because you're not an Instagram. I was being driven. Right. I was being driven in a car, but like I was riding in a car with somebody who was old enough to take the wheel and drive me to where we were going. And I mentioned American Gladiators, and they're like, "What? Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> they had no, no idea. They had no clue." Like, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy so because painful. I work in an industry where everybody's older than me, so I always feel young. Is that like American Ninja Warriors? And it's like, oh no, <laughs> oh dear. All right, so what else? Okay. We got, we got. Right, Rogue okay, Invader. so that was Rogue Invader. Um, so they're pretty cool. Um, and then uh, another one of the games, uh, again that we had at Salt Lake Gaming Con because all our awesome shit was at Salt Lake Gaming Con. Um, is a game called Momentum. So. Uh, here's another one that's going to make me a uh, reference that's going to make me feel old. But for anybody who remembers the old game, not video game, the physical game Labyrinth, uh, which was like the wooden maze with the ball and you tilted the maze uh, oh, to move the ball God, through. And there I remember were those. All yeah. the holes in the corners and they yes. were all bastards and stuff. Um, <laughs> so Momentum is a game that's like if you took that thing and you made it into a big three-dimensional track. So Labyrinth is two-dimensional, right? Like basically built, uh, tilting yeah. a table. So Momentum's like if you could flip that whole thing 180 degrees upside down and have the ball roll around that and like rotate it. And so he's got these big superstructures suspended in space that are like these weaving tracks and moving platforms and all this crazy stuff. And you spin and rotate the whole level in space to get a ball through it. Um, and it sounds like a really simple concept, and, but it's one of those games that you start playing and you kind of end up in the, okay, just one more level. Okay, just one more level. Oh, it's four yeah. o'clock in the morning? Fuck you, mom. One more level. <laughs> like, <laughs> I watched um, Garrett not do a very good job of playing it, and it looked really good. So actually, I, I was going to say, uh, something that I picked up uh, uh, at the first packs I went to, like a lesson that I learned really quick is when you're demoing a game, and it's a game that is going to require a lot of skill. I've learned that I always enjoy watching the creator play the game because a lot of demos, mm -hmm. they don't do that. They'll put you in front of it and they'll walk you through it and then you leave. But sometimes it's nice to see a game like in its element and like seeing somebody who totally has it mastered and see what it looks like then instead of what it looks like when a retarded monkey like myself is just trying to control <laughs> it. And Momentum, right. Momentum has maybe one of my favorite moments where that happened, where I'm playing it and I'm struggling and struggling and it's just not going very well. And, Boy, was he struggling. And is it Kelly? I think that's his name is Kelly. <laughs> yeah, Kelly Harper. So I asked, I asked Kelly, I'm like, will you show me, will you beat this for me, please, mister? And, um, <laughs> and he took the controller from me and he basically like, 
he just hit the analog stick as hard as he as hard as it would go and just flipped the entire level upside down and basically like caught the ball just directly in the hole and circumvented like the entire level with this <laughs> with this crazy catch and it's just it's such a prime example of like god I'm really glad I asked him to play this cuz that was so fucking cool right like that that's was... one of the things that I like about his game too is it's like you know you think about that level and I don't even know which level you were looking at but it doesn't matter cuz this is true of all of them um and it's like you were probably trying to guide the ball like along the path, right? And like do all these sort of subtle motions. And it's like, oh shit, I'll drop it here. Okay, I gotta be careful and move it, you know. And like that's a solution. And then there's the brute force solution that that you just described that he did. Like there's there's those alternate ways to do it and like mess with the physics. It's it's super clever. I love it. Yeah, boy, what an idiot I am. <laughs> <laughs> but how yeah, awesome you feel when you nail one of those catches for the first it, time it was right? it was really really cool seeing him do that i would i would put that pretty high up there in like my favorite moments of watching someone play their own game like that was that was pretty cool yeah. um so so that's momentum um i guess we can probably do two more um, sure and yeah i won't just to sort of keep everybody here absolutely all night um so actually right across the aisle from Momentum was uh, Together, Omna and Safe. Um, that game's created by Lyle Cox. He's actually one of the other co-founders of the Utah Games Guild. Um, and Together is a two-player co-op game uh, focused on relationships and interdependence. And basically the way it works, like if the, the comparison I like to make to kind of uh, more hardcore gamers, and that's not really his target audience, and I'll talk about that in a second, is like um, <laughs> Legend of Zelda Four Swords, if anybody played that. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or uh, uh, what is that Starbreeze game? Tale of Two Brothers, or just Two Brothers? Yeah, uh, uh, bro- it's, yeah. it's Brothers, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so the thing that those kind of games kind of have in common, and this is what kind of gameplay together is structured around is that you've got a couple of players in the world having to uh, press buttons and throw switches and stand on pressure plates and like, you know, one has to lure the, uh, the monster away so the other can get through and all, all those kinds of cooperative puzzle solving things. Um, and the way he's designed all of the puzzles is the two players must communicate with each other. Like you can't, you can't really make your way through the game by just sort of playing silently and like, you know, taking cues from how the other person moves around. Like, you really have to talk to each other. Um, and what ends up happening that's really cool about it is, and I've done, every show we've done with Utah Games Guild, I've shown Legacy of the Elder Star right next to Lyle showing together. So I've watched a ton of people play his game. And he'll get cases where, like, a kid will come up, you know, eight or nine-year-old kid will come up by themselves. He'll be like, I want to play your game. And he'll be like, well, it's a two-player game. Is there someone else you can play with? And, like, there'll be some other kid that's like 14 or something standing there by themselves. And they'll be like, well, I want to play too. And so he'll put these two kids together and they don't know each other. They've never met each other. And about five minutes later, you know, and they've, they've gone through a few levels. They're like the best of friends and they're bantering and they're (laughs) high-fiving and it's like, it's fucking awesome every single time. Um, or his game is the one that'll get, you know, sometimes you'll get those parents and especially because we're in Utah, we sometimes have like the, you know, the really conservative, uh, kind of stern parents who like they'll walk by and be like oh those are the video games sniff and you know come on kids we're not going to play those you know devil tools or whatever um and he'll actually get like some of those kinds of parents will see his game and be like oh wait this actually looks nice and next thing you know they're sitting there playing the game with their kid not watching their kid play actually playing the game themselves with their kid for like 45 minutes at a stretch Mm -hmm. um so that's it's it's really cool to see that kind of stuff happening with his game so um, I, I remember, I remember um, 
when they were looking at the the Utah Games Guild stuff before they went to the show together was the one that I kind of specifically narrowed in on. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I would kind of really want to play that one. Um, but of course, it wasn't there, so I couldn't do it. So, but that one looked. I I think I I just like the way it looked. I like I like the kind of cooperative stuff that doesn't. Um, require you be like a brain surgeon about it like you know i i i guess i like the more kind of like puzzly type things so so left for dead part two i love that stuff all far more than playing i don't know call of duty co-op um it's gonna look like it was a lot of fun it's really good i would i would say that i would maybe add that i feel i feel a little bad uh about that one specifically because lyle seems to me like he kind of has a little bit of a, a personal investment in it. Like he wanted to make a game, but he wanted to make a game that makes everybody feel nice and feel happy. And when Michael and I played it, um, we threatened each other a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> with like, with like death. And, uh-huh. uh, and I guess it seemed, it seemed as though maybe we were making Lyle a little uncomfortable with how much we were fighting while we I were playing. I saw his heart <laughs> And I felt really bad about it in that moment. I hope that he doesn't have like an ill will. It's just how Michael and I bond. You should see us right. play. You should see us play Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Like it's it's very much, it's very much a, a yelling match. I mean, we got it done. We got to the end. You know, that's what's important. Um, We're the best of friends now. But I I did feel I did feel a little bit like like perhaps I was doing it wrong while I played it. But I, I had a great time with it. I think it's a really fun game, and I think that um, I think his big struggle maybe is just getting it. On a on a console because I think that's where it's really going to shine is in the living room with a parent with a child, you know that yeah. kind of that kind of setup. And I think that having it on the PC is going to be a little bit of a hurdle in that regard. Um, but but I really hope that he pulls it off because he's he's done a remarkable job with that game. It's really solid. Yeah, it's it's really good and it's impressive because it's his first game. Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah oh. it's his first game. I hope that um, I maybe just I also hope that he can learn to uh, to allow the people who hate each other to play that game too. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't, don't want to speak for him, but <laughs> I, I don't want to speak for him. But I I I don't I don't think it bothers him in the way that you're maybe afraid of. Um, because the first time that I played it, I did exactly what you guys did. That's that's how I play games with friends, right? Like the guy that I played together with the first time, yeah, I mean it was it was death threats and it was swearing and like shoving each other off the couch. Like, why the hell did you put the monster over there? You broke the whole puzzle, you asshole. Like, but and it's exactly the same thing. Like that's that's the way that we play and the way we bond. Like, you know, the trash talking thing is just our way of doing it. Um, but it was still a positive experience, right? It wasn't that we it wasn't that we had negative emotions or like negative energy while we were playing the game, you know, just because we were saying all of the mean words, <laughs> right? Like we still had totally positive energy playing the game. We were still communicating. Um, and that's ultimately the point of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think in that regard, it, it definitely sets out or, or achieves what it sets out to do. Um, you know, that sounds pretty unique to you and Michael, because when we play games, we don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I don't recall ever really yelling. It's something. It's something about being there in person that makes me. It just also well, it's something about what a bad job you do that I just feel like. I, have to say I, I was going to say I would also maybe just add that Michael and Doug are probably the two most antagonistic people uh, hey, hey, to hey. play video games in Fuck front you. of. No, I'm not ass. <laughs> we, we we actually had a pretty good time at Pax when we played together. 
Did you? So maybe it's just you, Jared. When you played, yeah, I, when you played no, together, like you Jared, played the two of you together. Right. Right. Okay. So it's, it's just that combination of Jared and Michael. Look. All right. And you know what? Actually, so we we played that bomb defusal game at PAX too, and that that went pretty smooth. So maybe what we need is just one of us needs to be completely separated by an Oculus Rift. And uh, <laughs> so they can't be criticized on yeah. how well I'm disarming the bomb. Anyway, we're so sorry. Right, let's, let's, let's talk about the last give game. Us, give us you your last game. You need to put reality so that you don't know that you're talking to each other. <laughs> give, us, give us your last one, Josh. Okay, so the last, uh, I guess kind of the last game that I'd highlight um, was actually uh, Dub Wars. Uh, again, Salt Lake Gaming Con. Um, their game is a top-down twin-stick shooter. Uh, but... The special thing about it is that it's set to dubstep music, and the dubstep music drives your weapons. So you'll have certain weapons that are firing on the beat of the music, and you'll have a different type of weapons that are firing uh, you know, on one of those certain weird dubstepy sound effects that comes in every now and then. And you know, something else will be firing along with like the hi-hats. And, and, and so you kind of have to learn. Learning to play a level isn't just about moving and aiming. Learning to play a level is about learning the song. And learning, you know, oh. when is the drop going to come and which musical elements are going to play there because that's when I'm going to get my big beam cannon and I want to use it there and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and the visual of the game is basically like the laser light show shit that you get if you go to a live dubstep show. Um, and so that whole thing fits in really well. And then, of course, at Gaming Con, and this was like one of my favorite things about the whole show, they brought giant tower speakers and blasted dubstep music through the entire show floor for three days straight. <laughs> <laughs> You guys had them very well positioned, though, so they were just firing off into into nothing. I've I've been to other shows like at PAX where they've had like the guy next to the. I'll be interviewing like this tiny guy who has this really thoughtful like indie puzzle game that you know he 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 didn't bring a set of headphones or something, and the guys next to him are just blasting the loudest, most obnoxious music that they possibly can. But that wasn't the case there. We actually didn't get to play that one. Um, the line was just too long, and uh, we, it, there wasn't quite enough time to see it. But it looked cool. It looked cool from a distance. I was just sitting there jamming to the dubstep music the whole time. <laughs> like, I like that genre, so I was like, yeah, this is good stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and beyond that, there's a bunch more. There was There was plenty of good stuff to see at that show. Um, I've, I've been really impressed with the, with the community here. Um, we, it was something that we didn't even really start to explore until very recently. Um, because my, I was almost just under the assumption that there wasn't really such a community, but I've been proven very thoroughly wrong in almost every regard that way. So, you uh, asshole. yeah, I guess so. If you had, if you had just one wish, <laughs> Josh, about how you could, recruit more people or or just find more more talent what what do you wish like if someone's listening to this how do they how do they get involved with this um so our the utah games guild's website is utahgamesguild.com um and uh we we've got a bunch of different resources there uh we keep a blog where we try and uh post sort of news about the utah indie game development community and our upcoming events and stuff like that uh, we keep a database there of all of the local indie developers and their projects, both works in progress and shipped games. Um, and we have like a little submission form up there on the database page. So if uh, anybody's working on something in Utah and uh, wants to get listed in the database, uh, you can send us a little bit of basic information, like the name of your game and the name of your team and what your your website and your Twitter and stuff. Uh, and we'll get you listed there. Um, and then... Uh, from time to time, the, the main activity that 
we're engaged in is that we organize these uh, sort of group indie showcases like we did at the Salt Lake Gaming Con and last year at Comic-Con. Uh, we do a lot of smaller events, too. Uh, we've actually got one coming up on October 10th at the Salt Lake City Mini Maker Fair at the Utah State Fairground. Mm, okay. um, so we we're, we actually have registration is open for that right now. Um, so you can come and hit up our website and uh, if you've got something that you want to show there. Um, and that's going to be a lot smaller event, like I said. Um, you know, we'll probably still have, you know, 8 to 10, maybe even 12 indies there. Uh, but it's not a, a giant, you know, Salt Lake Comic Con kind of extravaganza. Um, it seems like the cadence we've been at is about once every two to three months, uh, there's some kind of an event. So there's always opportunities to show games. Um, will, and one of the reasons... Guys, uh, will you be at Comic-Con this year? Uh, we will not be at Comic-Con this year, actually. Uh, and there are kind of two reasons for that. One is because it fell so close to Salt Lake Gaming Con, and they're both large, expensive shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, we're all everybody's indies, right? Like we don't have any money, right? Right. <laughs> and so doing two of those shows back to back, you know, is a little bit too big of an impact on people's wallets. Uh, that'll be a little better next year because uh, next year Salt Lake Gaming Con is in June, mm-hmm. and you know, then Comic Con, of course, is uh, later in September. So there's a little more room there. Uh, but then the other thing is that uh, Comic Con actually raised their prices for vendor booths this year, mm. um, and we weren't able to. We, we have a contact now, but at the time when we needed one, we didn't have a contact where we could have tried to work something out for like the group. So it was just going to be prohibitively expensive this year. Mm, gotcha. um, so, yeah, unfortunately, we do have to skip that one this year, which uh, kind of sucks. Um, one thing I should bring up that's kind of related to that, though, this is not a Utah Games Guild thing specifically, um, but it is of interest to the Utah indie game dev and indie game player community. Um, this is actually... Uh, Wednesday night, so I guess since you guys are publishing on Wednesday, it's, it's that'll be tonight. T- tonight for all night. of your listeners. This very night is the uh, the final pitch event for the Utah Game Wars competition. Um, so Utah Game Wars is a small competition. It's put on by an organization called Grow Utah, and uh, indie game developers submit their games. Um, their event tonight, uh, which is down at the... Um, I can't remember the exact name of the thing. It's like the D- Children's Discovery Center or something down at the Gateway Mall. Uh, if you go to utahgamewars.com, you can find the information about the venue. Um, but they'll have all of the finalists there demoing their games, uh, giving a pitch, and then they'll select three winners, and there's cash prizes and stuff, and they'll give the awards and stuff at that event. Um, so that's kind of a big thing that a bunch of people are excited about. Several of the games that we talked to uh, talked about tonight are finalists in that competition. Oh, great. Um, so that's cool. Um and then, yeah, I think that's about it for, oh, oh, oh. Um, the one other thing is, uh, if you are uh, a game developer in Utah and you want to get hooked up with the community in general, not just, you know, I mentioned our website and you can follow our blog and stuff, but if you actually want to like get to know and meet other indie game developers, kind of the hub of our community is uh, Utah Indie Night, which is an event that happens every other month. Uh, the next one is actually coming up. Uh, just a little later this month, I believe it's September the 22nd, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to utahindiegames.org, that'll take you to the Google Group's mailing list for the Utah Indie Night community. You'll see the announcement for the event there and a bunch of other stuff. That's kind of like the forum, essentially, where the whole indie community just jibber-jabbers with each other. Um, so that's a really great place to get involved with the community and get to know people. And we at the Utah Games Guild want to hear from all of you because we know that there's a ton of talent out there that is just 
tucked away and hidden away. And like I said, every time we go to a show, we meet new people that didn't even know there was anything here. Uh, and there's actually a ton. So we want to hear from everybody. And, and finally, if you are developing a game about stacking hats, mm, you should yeah. get in contact with, uh, with Jared Baldhouse because he will bankroll your game with a lot of money. Yeah, we're, uh, I've been, so what, what I do is every time I think about how bad I want a game about stacking hats, I put a, a quarter in a jar that I've got in my kitchen, and uh, I feel like we're just about ready to probably go from beginning to end. So um, so if, if, you are, if you have an affinity for RPG Maker XP, and you're ready to make a game about hat stacking, <laughs> I want you to reach out to me. Why, why, why hat stacking? <laughs> I just, I'm not judging, but we've talked about it so much on this podcast. I don't. I struggle to think if we should discuss it again. But um, I actually don't. You, remember, you, you the, I don't yeah, remember the reason. Okay, so here's the premise, right? Here's the premise. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. So, All right. Um, you are a, uh, a, a fine gentleman. You know, uh, in the 1920s, something like that. Um, and you, it, it's kind of a fictional alternate universe where, you know, your, your status is kind of illustrated by the number of hats that you choose to wear on top of your head, unless you wear so many that they fall over and touch the ground, in which case you were, you are a fool, right? Like then, then your status has been, uh, dramatically diminished. And so I've envisioned this game where you have a gentleman's duel with pistols um, but before well, the duel, were you working on a dealership? Before, yeah. Well, that was my original idea. Is you were you were you were working for a car dealership? But now I've come up with a. <laughs> this has changed a lot. Now I've come up with a better idea. My better idea is so both both characters get dropped. It's two players. Both players get dropped into the game, and then their uh, their servants in the building above them they begin to throw hats down to them to wear, and the players must move back and forth to catch the hats on their head. And then once that once they each have a sufficient amount of hats, then they will begin their gun duel. And before they can kill one another, they must first shoot all of the hats off the other person's head. And only then can they shoot them in the face. And uh, I mean, you can shoot them in the face without shooting off their hats, but it's just dishonorable and you really shouldn't do that. So, <laughs> so it is gentlemanly. This, this game, I mean, I, I know you say gentlemen now. Now you're very... Um, gender specific and that's pretty sexist and we and we are so, it so, is intentionally very gender specific uh this so is an alternate universe where i, I have a i have a suggestion okay so it's like the 1920s all right um you know and and now we we passed like women's suffrage and all that what you should do is you should have a dlc in which you get to play as a handsome lady okay does she also uh, wear many hats? She does get to wear many hats. I'll well, I'm it. sure Josh dropped the call like five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that, that game's pretty much done. It really just needs someone to make it. It just needs someone to program it, do the art, and uh, everything else, I guess. So if you guys, if you're interested in my idea, take it um, and run with it. Don't, you got to tell me if you do, because I need to cut of those sweet, sweet hat stacking dollars. But I know this game's going to be a hit. It's going to be a smash. So, so Q1 2016? Yeah, I think we're real close. <laughs> so, all right, very good. So, uh, so can you have it asked for Christmas? That's really the question. So, I, I, I don't know. You know, maybe this can be Nintendo's killer app. 
I mean, we were talking I, I about... Think, I think you shouldn't sleep until you have a ring. Does Mario Maker have as much <laughs> staying power as this game? No, probably not. doesn't have as many hats, I'll tell you. It doesn't that. have nearly as many hats. So, uh, I mean, guys, I'm just... The more we talk about it, the angry I'm getting. So, maybe... <laughs> Maybe we'll just move on. Um, Josh, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast and and sitting through this and uh, enduring it. And we, I think, all of us uh, wish you the most success that you can have uh, with your Kickstarter. And we're we're gonna do everything that we can to to hopefully help you uh, in that in that process. But I think that you've I think you've created something that is good enough. You probably don't need a lot of help. You'll you'll probably be fine. Um, well, thank you, thank you very much for saying so. But anyway, uh, if you enjoyed our podcast tonight, I would encourage you, of course, to go check out all of Josh's uh, different projects that we've mentioned. But beyond that, you should be following us. You should go to The Enemy Slime on Twitter, Facebook, any of those services. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a rating. We haven't had any iTunes ratings for a while. We could use one of those. So uh, if you... if you get a good rating, too. Yeah. (laughs) This podcast is even better on a normal week. Um, No, that's not true at all. This This was probably as good as it gets. So I think uh, I think next week we're going to rebrand as a Sonic podcast. So I hope you guys will tune in to listen to Sonic talk. Uh, it's so gonna are we going to be... talk about how Until Dawn would have been in a better game if it stars Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes, actually, that's that's the first talking point. So um, just get ready for that. Uh, so that'll debut next week on EnemySlime.com, and uh, you should you should go check it out because it's really going to be good. And um, I think that's everything. I'm satis- I'm satisfied. I'm satiated and <laughs> I, Michael got him a threat. I, I think I think with that we're out.